Another Way to Play, Episode 71. Step one, I say start tracking your money. No one ever said I ignored my debt and it just fixed itself. And that's Mm. not the way the world works. So step one is you just have to understand where you're at today and plug that all into some kind of an app that you trust and feel comfortable with or some kind of a system. And once you have that clear shot of where you are today, you can start building out that path for the future. This is Eric Rosenberg, freelance writer and founder of personalprofitability.com. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Eric Rosenberg. He's a finance, travel, and technology freelance writer who also founded personalprofitability.com. He's a former bank manager and corporate finance and accounting professional who left his day job in 2016 to take on his side hustle as his full-time business. He's got in-depth experience in writing about banking, credit cards, investing, business, and other financial topics. He's also a husband and father of three and says that keeps him pretty darn busy as he talks about at the end of the Focus 5. So in this one, guys, we have a really great conversation with Eric about his uh, path to his own personal profitability and how he started making money online. He basically took it as a side hustle for a long time until 2015. He made enough money to basically represent the median income in his area in Portland, Oregon. So he decided if I can do this in just 20 hours a week, imagine what I could do if I went full time very next year, he took the plunge and really started seeing some pretty serious growth. But it wasn't without some struggles and some bumps along the way, which we get into in this as well. Eric also gives us some really practical advice on personal finance specifically, which his first piece of advice for anyone starting out and getting themselves aligned in that area of their own finances is to figure out where you are, whether it's through an app or a spreadsheet you create, find a way to get everything on one page, know exactly where your numbers are, and get a full, full picture of what you're looking at today before you go and try and implement anything else. So before we get to the interview, if you're getting value out of this or any of the other shows I put out, please head over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review because it really helps me grow both from the feedback that I get because I do read all of those as well as boosting the algorithm up. So I'd really appreciate that. Thank you in advance. And now let's get over to the interview with Eric Rosenberg. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Really excited to have you on today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Absolutely my pleasure. Before we get into what you're doing now and some of the cool, exciting things you got going, let's back up. 
let's build a little bit of context for the audience and, and tell them where your story really began. Sure. Yeah. So going way back, I've always, I think, had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug. It runs in my family. When I was growing up, my family owned a video store. If you remember those, you can guess what Mm -hmm. happened there. But I learned a lot about running a family business. And actually my dad, and then after the video store closed, was vice president of the Chamber of Commerce in Aurora, Colorado. It's one of the biggest suburbs to Denver. So I grew up around business. I was always very business-minded. Actually, one of the earlier memories I have, though, about money, something I think that was really formative to me. I was a good Boy Scout and got personal finance merit badge and all that good stuff. But when I was about eight years old, my grandpa gave me a general ledger accounting notebook, just what every eight-year-old boy wants for their Mm -hmm. birthday, right? (laughs) And uh, he told me uh, that you you should track every time you make money and every time you spend money, and that notebook will help you kind of track your worth over time. And I don't know that I ever really filled that in, but the lesson stuck with me. And I've always been you know, focused on money and you know, making more than I spend, all, all that kind of financial stuff. So it was no shock in high school. I was uh, lucky to go to this big high school that had a lot of programs and I could take business classes instead of music and art classes. So that was great for me. <laughs> I was uh, done painting all in on business stuff. And I took a couple classes. There was a business management class and... I don't remember what the other was, but I got involved in FBLA, that's Future Business Leaders of America, Mm -hmm. and went to the state competition. I actually got 10th in the state in high school in uh, web design, which was kind of cool, and also went for technology concepts. So surprisingly, I didn't go into IT. I stuck with finance and got my undergrad at the University of Colorado. It was either finance or marketing. My grandpa was a marketing professor. So there was always Mm -hmm. a little pull to do marketing, but the numbers spoke to me and I got a finance degree. Uh, My first job after college, I was a bank manager. So I was approving mortgages, running the tellers, running new accounts, all the kind of day-to-day stuff you need for a bank branch. And while I was working there, I started reading all these personal finance blogs. And I'd had a little blog before uh, that I started in the summer when I was actually working at a Boy Scout camp in the office. I had Mm -hmm. some downtime when you're in an office and there's no scouts around. So I I blogged a little bit and then I let that blog go, but I was reading these blogs and they were mostly by people who were in a lot of debt and they were trying to tell their story of how they were getting out of debt. I started thinking, well, I know how to run a blog. I've never been in debt. I have a finance degree. Well, after I left the bank, I thought a few weeks ago I was approving mortgages. I should be writing about personal finance. So in October 2008, I started a little blog. I didn't know anything about online marketing. So it was called Mm -hmm. narrowbridgeadventures.blogspot.com. Great URL. It's a mouthful. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Easy to remember. uh, Nowadays, that's called personal profitability. It has morphed a lot over the years, but that's really what got me started. I was into money. I'd been reading other personal finance blogs, and I thought, why don't I give it a try? Maybe I'll make a few bucks along the way. And now here I am, I make my full-time living online writing about money. Wow. Well, thank you for all of that. <laughs> let's, um, let's back up to that story when your grandfather gave you the general ledger, because that's, that's a really unique one, I think. Can you talk to me a little bit more about, I don't recall exactly how old you said you were, but that- I'm around that, eight. I don't remember eight. the exact uh, detail, yeah. but I remember getting it and holding it and thinking, wow, this is a notebook. <laughs> 
<laughs> that eight-year-old version of yourself. Yeah. Standing there looking at that notebook and what were you thinking? Like, did you engage with it at all? Is that something that, or did you just kind of sit around and like grandpa told me to, to write stuff down and then the lesson was there and that was it? I think I filled it out a few times. I'm kind of thinking back to maybe I half filled the first page, which mm-hmm. if you don't know what a general ledger book looks like because um, you weren't an accountant before 1990. <laughs> um, they look kind of like a checkbook register, yep. which I guess if you're uh, not a millennial or older, you might not even know what that looks like. But it's a right. just a line item of transactions and it says income or expense and then running total of your income. So I remember filling that in a few times. I kind of liked the neatness and tidiness of, oh, yeah. here's my money. But then I was thinking, well, my bank does this for me. You know, anytime I put money in or take money out, I get a statement. So yep. that's already kind of happening for you. So I think that's part of why I didn't stick with it. But again, yeah. that lesson, uh, track how much money you have coming in and out, that is something everybody should be doing for sure. Absolutely. And that's that's where I was going with that is like the lesson that you said you pulled out of that, whether you actually engaged with the book or not, was you know, have an idea of what's coming in and what's going out. And, and so how did in your early years, um, you know, through high school and college and that age, how did that manifest for you? And how did that play in to sort of your day to day differently than what maybe a normal high school or college kid would experience? Yeah, I think I was just always a little extra money motivated because of that. Like um, another Boy Scout story, uh, we sold pop or entertainment books and gold C books, so coupon books. And I was always the number one seller in my troop the year that I wanted to be. And that was a troop of over 100 scouts. So it was a lot of competition. Wow. They said, uh, let's sign up. How many cases of books do you think you'll sell? And I'd sign up for maybe five, six cases to get started. And one year there was a new mom in charge of the book sales and she called the old mom and said, is this guy serious? And she's like, oh yes, he's serious. He's going to come back for more. And I used those book sales. The troop got half and I got half in my scout account, which was like a little ledger, I guess they kept for each scout. And that paid for my summer camp each year. It paid for a troop ski weekend living in Denver. You know, that was um, just up the mountain for us. Yep. So I felt really excited, even though my parents would have definitely paid for those things. I felt you know proud. I was paying for it myself uh, just by selling some books at a grocery store and to my neighbors and around the community. So there was always that little that bite of wanting to do more things like that. And it just kept growing and growing from there. I've, do, I've started a few businesses along the years. You know, some have not done so well, but the, uh, the one that did do well uh, was the writing. I, I will say stick with what's working. It's good to test mm-hmm. a lot of different things. And if you find something that works in your business, even if it's not what you expected, even if it's a surprise, you should embrace it. You know, I thought I was going to, mm. when I started my blog, I know Pat Flynn. He's a great guy. I love smart passive income. That's a site many entrepreneurs know and podcasts yep. and it's wildly successful. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have something just like that. But Google had different plans for me. I didn't get mm. all that traffic, I thought. But I was making money doing something in my business. That was the freelance writing. So yeah, I just had to pivot a little bit, embrace what worked and keep running with that. And that's where my income really grew to that point where I didn't have to go and do a job with a boss anymore. So you started off 
with this with this ledger at eight years old or so. And that sort of led you to being really focused on your money and your personal finances. And that manifested through selling different things for the Boy Scouts and, and then eventually different jobs. You know, you were a bank manager, you worked in some of these more traditional full-time employment engagements. When was it that you actually decided to go full entrepreneur and go out on your own? I think I really, I didn't really commit until the night before I gave my two weeks notice. (laughs) I'd always had a little bit of an idea in the back of my head, like, I wonder if I could really do this full time someday. So when I started that blog, you know, anybody who started a website or a podcast knows it's not a quick path to getting rich. It takes a lot of time and effort to build an audience. It takes, uh, there's a lot to it. It is a whole business. You can't just start taking pictures of yourself on Instagram and think you're going to be famous and make money. It's, it's more to it than that. And when I started that finance blog, I remember I got my first $10 ad and I was so excited. I could go get a beer with the money I made on the internet that, that day. Yep. Like, this is so cool. And I was getting a few ads. I joined a community called the Yakezi, which is still around, not really active like it used to be. But it was all about 100 personal finance bloggers. We taught each other what was working and what wasn't working. I learned a lot more about advertising. So $10 ads became $100 ads and more. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just paying for one beer. I was paying for all my bar tabs for a month, which in my mid-20s, that was saying something. And yeah. uh, that grew to my rent and my mortgage. And it just kept growing, You know, again, focusing on what was working and trying new things and embracing the successes and dropping and moving on from failures. It grew to a point in 2015, I made $40,000 on the side. I was living in Portland, Oregon then, and the average person in Portland made about $40,000 a year. And I started to think, wow, if I could do this in 10 to 20 hours a week, imagine what would happen if I went full time. So Mm. like any good responsible dad with a six-month-old baby and a stay-at-home mom wife, I quit my good stable job with health insurance and all the benefits and sold my house and moved to one of the most expensive parts of the country. And it's worked out. (laughs) Yeah. And here you are. Here I am. You've mentioned now a couple of different times, you know, stick with what's working, even if it's not what you expect. And you, you alluded to the writing. I'm assuming you're talking about writing for your blog or freelance writing. And can you expand on like what that meant for you and how you knew? It sounds like one of your mottos. Sure. Yes. That has actually happened a few times. And I like to think of them as those hockey stick growth moments where you realize something or embrace something or change something in your business where you go from that kind of steady path to a moment of big growth. A lot of it's come around uh, being involved in communities. I mentioned the Yakezi early on. Later on, as probably two years, three years after that started, this guy I'd never met before now, one of my very good friends named Philip Taylor or PT from PT Money, said, I'm going to have a financial blogger conference. And I thought that was another point. I said, if my blog makes enough to pay for the trip, I'm going to go to Chicago and go to this conference, not knowing anybody, never having done anything like that before. And now I've been to every single FinCon and going there, I met all these other people doing more of what I was trying to be doing. I learned there were lots of different paths to success at making an income online. Everybody's path doesn't look the same. And while I made enough online to pay for that trip, that wasn't enough that was going to pay for my life. A couple thousand dollars, it wasn't paying everything. And there I started meeting bloggers. And actually what happened was they started saying, you know, I have a site I'm looking to add another day or two a week. I will pay other bloggers. I didn't know what 
was a good income to get paid for blogging at that point. But I remember getting you know, 25 bucks a post, something like that, to write a guest post or a, a paid post, a staff post on a friend's blog. And that kept growing until in 2014, I was at FinCon in New Orleans. That's that financial blogger conference. Mm -hmm. I've spoken at almost every FinCon on something. And I did a talk on whatever I was doing that year. It was how to become a B-list blogger. That was a funny one. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. that I was a freelancer for hire. And at the end, someone from a big finance company came up to me and said, hey, we heard you say you're a freelancer for hire. We'd love to work with you. And that was my first real legitimate big business client. And they paid a heck of a lot more than a small blogger pays out of their pocket. And it really grew again from there. So there were these key moments along the way where I just had an opportunity and I went for it. And as I said, I got to that $40,000 in 2015, which I used to do income reports. If anyone's interested, you could see it all Mm -hmm. at personalprofitability.com. There's a link at the top. But you can track from 2012 to 2017 or 18 was where I stopped doing those. You can see every big moment of change along the way. And one of them, that that big milestone in 2015, was kind of what inspired that, oh, maybe I could leave my job and really make this work. Uh, There was another moment where that embrace what works thing uh, came and really changed my business. And that was about three months after I quit my job. I had moved to California. I was sitting, working in the kitchen because, you know, when you quit your job and move to California, you have a, a smaller place than you did in Portland. And yeah. I was working in the kitchen and I was working longer and longer hours and my income went up, but not as much as the time that I was putting in. So I thought, what's mm-hmm. working backwards? Why is my time scaling the wrong way when it comes to dollars per hour rather than scaling the right way where I'm making more per hour? And what I realized when I quit the job, I was making about 15, 17% of my income doing website development projects. I was a self-taught WordPress developer. So I knew HTML and CSS and PHP. I built all my own websites. They said, oh, we'll pay you to help. So I said, sure, pay me, I'll do do it. Uh, So I was doing that with, uh, I figured it was about 80% of my time though. And maybe Mm -hmm. 90, 95% of my stress was coming from this website work. And then I was looking at my writing and that was making about 76% of my income from about 20% of my time. And if you're familiar with the 80-20 rule or Pareto's principle, pretty much smacked me in the face right there. I was looking at my uh, QuickBooks, a former accountant. I, I do very detailed record keeping on my income and expenses. And it pretty much said 80-20, you need to be writing, you need to not be doing website development. So I had even some recurring clients that I let go I emailed them and said, I'll help you find a new person to do this, but I'm not not doing this anymore. It's, um, you know, you you have to find someone new. So that was a little scary walking away from some of my income. But over that next three months, my income roughly tripled. That was the first time I ever did over 10,000 in a month. And I've done it almost every month since. So it was that thing that was working and I embraced it and I went with it. And it's uh, it's treated me well. (laughs) Man, I've got a couple of great questions on this, but the first one that I think everyone wants to know is like, you had those recurring clients and I'm assuming those are people when you say recurring that are paying you monthly. Yeah. So it's steady income when you're, when you're not a steady income kind of person, like you're self-employed, right? You don't have, have steady income, quote unquote. Talk us through that mentality shift that you would have had to go through and whatever you were wrestling with internally to actually pull the trigger, send the email and say, yo, I'm not doing this anymore. 
It was really just the numbers. Uh, being a numbers guy, for most of my a cubicle land career. I was mm-hmm. a financial analyst or something related to that. So accounting and finance side of the company. Actually, even in my last job that I had a traditional day job, I was a senior financial analyst in product finance. So what that meant, that I was looking at different product lines at a Fortune 500 company, trying to make sure each one was individually profitable. I looked for places we could cut expenses and increase revenue. So my whole mm-hmm. career before I was a writer or on the side of my writing when that was just a side hustle was focused on how do I take a business line and make it more profitable? That's mm-hmm. actually how I came up with the name personal profitability. I was working on product profitability. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what I'm really about is personal profitability. There were a lot of moving parts that came together to make that happen. But uh, by looking at those numbers and trusting, well, the numbers don't lie to you. It's easy to feel things. We talk a lot in business. There's some people who are all about following your gut. Mm-hmm. Well, I follow the numbers because uh, your gut could tell you wrong and the numbers aren't going to lie to you. That's your result. So look at the numbers, whatever kind of business you run, if you are an entrepreneur or want to be an entrepreneur, keep really good financial records, update them at least once a month and look for the story in there because the story it was telling me was you're spending a lot more time on website work that's making you less. So focus on the part that you're enjoying more and is paying you more. Yeah, really, really well said. Maybe you can relate to this and you've talked to other people who are kind of starting their personal finance journey and you imagine give them some similar advice when it comes to at least making these decisions. The first time that I cracked six figures in my real estate practice, it was almost like I didn't believe that it was happening, even though I could see the spreadsheet that I was tracking. It feels a little surreal the first time, doesn't it? Yeah. Your life is going to be so different. I was just at a conference talking to somebody about that. I said, the only difference is you buy the $2 more expensive ice cream at the store or something. Otherwise, your life pretty much looks the same. (laughs) Yeah. And it was weird because I almost didn't believe that it was happening. You know, it's like, I, I was like, how did I input this wrong into this spreadsheet? And then you start to see you know, the commission checks go into your bank and you add them all up and you're like, yeah, this is, this is right. But it still didn't feel, it didn't feel right. You know, and I, and I'm wondering if you encountered that yourself or if you encounter that with other people and how you advise them to sort of get past some of that, because it's one thing to look at numbers, but I think we all have to admit we're emotional creatures to some degree. And we have a strong pull on that, on that side of the aisle as well. I just say try to be more intelligent than your emotions. Mm. Yeah, there's a great uh, book that a friend of mine wrote. His name is Jason Vitug. His book's called YOLO, like you only live once. Yeah. But he said it's a personal finance book and the basic philosophy in there is a lot of young people have this YOLO mindset of you only live once, so go do it. If there's an expensive trip, go do it. You'll never get that opportunity again. But he flips that the other way and says, you only live once, so don't mess it up. You only have one Mm. chance to save for retirement. Do you want to regret it when you're 50 that you hadn't started yet or 60 or 70? Do you want to have all these regrets later in life? So think about future you. Picture that long-term focus. Most people need to save 10 to 20% of their income to have the same lifestyle in retirement. Do you want that same level of lifestyle in retirement? I know I do. I don't want to have to downgrade my life in the future. So I think, how do I get there? You have specific goals that you see in the future and and back up to this is the path to get there. 
So that's how I get over the mindset of, oh, does this seem real or not? Think, well, this is what I want and this is where I need to be now and here's where I'm at and here's the difference. And if the numbers line up, if you're on that right path, embrace it, enjoy it. If you see six figures, you know, high five yourself, do a little dance. <laughs> it's amazing how we as human beings try and complicate that equation so much because you're right, the the reverse engineering of of your opportunity or your ideal life like you're just describing is so simple, right? But it's also so scary and complex that it's oh, yeah. um, trying to distill it down to something so basic can be just mind-numbingly challenging when <laughs> we want to make it complex and there has to be more, there has to be more. But I'm, I mean, I'm going through that in many different areas of my life at the moment of like, oh, is it really that simple? Is the paragraph I'm trying to write for my website really just, it's just a paragraph and I don't have to overthink it that hard. Yeah, and everything. All the way Simplify up to like it. investing strategies, you know, it's, it's all of it can be simplified. And I love that you've hit on that a couple of times already. It's the kiss rule. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Depending on where you put that comment there, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, so if somebody hasn't checked out your blog before, when they do, what are they going to find and uh, what would you encourage them to spend time on first? Sure. So the site is really built all around personal finance for hustlers and entrepreneurs. So if you're looking to make more money and you're willing to put in a little work to do it, it's definitely the right place for you. The best place to start is actually if you join on, we have a free personal profitability bootcamp. I know I say we, it just seems like it should be a we, but I built it. It's a yeah. week-long course. You sign up, drop your email in. It's at personalprofitability.com slash bootcamp. And you get an email once a day for a week with a link to a video. They're about 10 minutes long to start you on your path to personal profitability. And if you stick around and hang out on the email list after, I'll actually send you a list of posts, my very favorites. They're all these really in-depth, complete beginner guide posts. Because a lot of us, like you said, we get really complicated. We start thinking about all the different things with our, let's say, investments or our finances. And it's important to get back to basics and really think, well, what should I have in a checking account? What do I need in a savings account? Is the bank account that I signed up for with my parents when I was 16 really the best bank account for me now in my 20s, 30s, 40s, wherever I'm at? Right. It's going through and saying, am I paying too much for my investments? Am I... Uh, working too hard on something that's not paying me back. And a lot of it comes down to uh, making sure your money is going to what you value most because it's easy to look at your neighbors and your friends and you know, keeping up with the Joneses, as they say. But who cares about the Joneses? Just care about yourself. You don't have to spend money on a satellite dish because your neighbor did. If you care more about uh, going and getting a coffee every day, go get the coffee every day. You just have to know what you're doing to make it that you can afford that coffee. So that's what personal profitability is all about. It's about being able to afford the lifestyle you want. That's fantastic. I really, really appreciate you giving us that overview. Speaking of some of those beginner ideas, like a lot of us in the entrepreneurial world, whatever stage we are, but especially in the beginning stages, are often focused on that top line, you know, the income line, right? Getting to six figures, how many you know, leads you get equals how many closings you get or whatever. But a lot of the times we start to ignore the, uh, the stuff below that top line, all the expenses. And you can find yourself in a position where it's like, okay, fantastic. You made all this money, but you spent an ungodly amount to get there. When you 
engage with somebody, whether it's, you know, one way through your blog or, you know, you, I'm sure you communicate with some of your readers as well. Oh, yeah. Um, how, <laughs> like what basic thought process do you, do you walk them through just to get them like onto step one of their journey there? Yeah. So step one, I say, start tracking your money because no one ever said I ignored my debt and it just fixed itself. And that's mm. not the way the world works. So step one is you just have to understand where you're at today. You have to use, oh, I like using mint.com. That's a great free app to track your budget. There's a bunch mm -hmm. of other really good ones. YNAB, that's you need a budget. Uh, there's uh, personal capital if you're a little farther along in your finances and are focused more on cash flow than line item budgeting. But whatever app you choose, or you can use a spreadsheet, you can use a general ledger notebook like my grandpa gave me. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you track your income and expenses and that you know where your money's at today. So make a big list of all of your accounts, even old bank accounts that maybe you could close down and consolidate all of your credit cards, all of your debts, everything uh, in your financial world. And plug that all into some kind of an app that you trust and feel comfortable with or some kind of a system so you know where you're at today. And once you have that clear shot of where you are today, you can start building out that path for the future. Really well said. Step one, know where you're at right now. Love it. And a lot of people don't. I mean, how many people don't know how much they have in savings right now? Probably yeah. a very, very large number of people out there. If you don't know, go uh, grab your phone, pull up your savings app, find out. But that's something you should just have a rough idea of and check in on about once a month if you don't look regularly. Things like that are so fundamental. They're so, they seem easy. They seem basic. But we don't do them often because we're so focused on the other stuff. If we get back to those fundamentals, we're setting ourselves up to succeed. Well, they're also easy and basic and they're easy and basic to do, but they're just as easy not to do. You see that with credit cards. It's easy yep. to pay the minimum and just set it on auto pay, but then you pay a ton of money in interest and you're looking mm -hmm. the other way and not realizing you're doubling the cost of that new TV or that plane ticket because you're not paying it off in full every month by the due date. So again, we know we should be paying our credit card off, but if you're not really doing it, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot financially. Absolutely. Great example, man. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I want to uh, respect your time and transition us here to the final segment, which is called the focus five, which is the same five questions. I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? All right. I'm, I'm stretching out. I'm getting limbered up. Let's do it. Right on. <laughs> First one's kind of a layup, but it'll get you started. What book have you gifted most often? Uh, the book I've gifted most often is The Art of Nonconformity by Chris Gillibo. That's a favorite. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I'd say today, probably Warren Buffett. He has seen so much in the market. He has immense financial knowledge. I've, I'm a Berkshire Hathaway B shareholder. I've gone out to three Berkshire Hathaway meetings in Omaha to see him himself uh, speaking about finance. He's just such a wealth of knowledge and this a valuable resource in the world. I'd love to meet him and, and chat with him. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Oh, most people would disagree with me on on Reddit recently, I said on the unpopular opinions subreddit that I think ghosting people outside of abusive relationships is never okay. 
And mm-hmm. some people seem to disagree with that uh, more than I expected. So apparently that's an unpopular opinion that I'm anti-ghosting. You just got to suck it up and communicate like grownups because that's what we should do. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's to say, I don't want to talk to you or I don't want to work with you or you're not getting the job. You shouldn't just let people wonder. Yeah. Well said, man. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Sometimes it's with a two-year-old walking into my room, opening up my eye and saying, wake up, Dada. <laughs> that, that's only happened once, but it did happen. Uh, so I have uh, three little kids at home, all under five years old. I have a three-month-old, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old. So my morning is really getting up and just trying to keep up with my family these days. Uh, it's good to have one of those routines. You read about entrepreneurs who are so protective of their mornings. And I find the mornings that I can get up and sneak away and just start writing right away. I can be more productive in the first four hours of the day than some eight-hour days where I have a a less clear morning. But uh, right now, I'm lucky to be at a point that I have little kids that want to spend time with me. And as your kids get older, they won't want to hang out with you anymore. So I'm lucky to have the freedom and flexibility that I wake up without an alarm clock. I hang out with my kids and my wife in the morning until my oldest goes off to school and then I start work. Fantastic, man. Thank you for sharing that because it's important to remember there's a lot of ways to to be an entrepreneur and, and it doesn't all involve a 5 a.m. green smoothie. No, no. It's The reason I'm an entrepreneur partially is because if I want at three o'clock in the afternoon to walk away from my desk and take my kid to get ice cream, I can or whatever else I want to do. That freedom is, it's worth so much more than money. Awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. Eric, you've been awesome today. Uh, What is the best place that we can connect with you online? Sure, you can get, uh, if you have a quick question, just want to give me a shout. I'm Eric Profits on Twitter, or you can head to personalprofitability.com and there's a whole lot of ways to reach me there. I'm going to link Eric Profit's Twitter handle in the show notes as well as personalprofitability.com. Uh, you can check out the boot camp. You can check out all the other posts and resources he's got up there. Um, so make sure you go do that. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate your time and your thoughts. And do you have anything final to share with us before we log it off? Thanks for having me here. Thanks for chatting, everybody. And get out there, stay profitable, focus on what works in your business. Keep doing it and doing it, and you will be setting yourself up for long-term success. And that wraps it up for today's show. If you guys want to connect with Eric, the show notes is the place to do that. I have his Twitter handle as well as his website, personalprofitability.com down in the show notes. So go find him down there and show him some love. And if you want to connect with me personally, my calendar link is always down in the show notes. It's a Calendly link. So go find it down at the bottom. Hop on my calendar. Let's have a quick chat to get to know one another a little bit better. Hopefully I can ask you a few questions about how to keep making the podcast a better experience because that's what it's all about. So without any further ado, I'm going to sign it off for today. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play. Thank you.